0: What a fascinating yet challenging time to be a leader. And in this Leading by Nature series, I interview pioneering leaders from diverse organizations, exploring future fit leadership and organizational development. I'm Giles Hutchins, executive coach, senior advisor, and author of many books, the latest being Leading by Nature, which explores the inner nature and outer nature of the organization, and the inner and outer nature of the leader, as they journey toward regenerative futures. Welcome to the Leading by Nature podcast with myself, Giles Hutchins, and my guest today, Honey Bean, director of the World Benchmarking Alliance. Welcome, Honey. It's lovely to be here with you today.
1: Same here. Nice to be here. Thanks, Charles.
0: So let's dive straight in by exploring a bit about the World Benchmarking Alliance. Perhaps you can start by sharing a bit about its its reason for being, its passion and its purpose.
1: Well, maybe I should start a little bit before we co-founded, I co-founded. When I was working at Microsoft, I was on the board of advisor of something which was called Access to Medicine, which was... Which was Uh, An organization that benchmarked pharmaceutical companies against medication for every... So the the right on on access to medication for every human being on the planet. Um, But also creating medication for diseases that are potentially not that commercially interesting. That always intrigued me because I thought, what, what is needed for business to... Uh, think of sustainability as part of their business instead of something they do after making money. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but this is this roughly the, the way uh, I thought about it. And then WBA started as a set of benchmarks across industries, but a bit bigger. So if you look at the sustainable development goals, what is needed for companies to Play their important part in achieving those. I think that's the main message. Our purpose is around, you know, c- closing, I would say, the accountability gap of these companies so that their success is not ultimately measured by what they earn uh, or what they pay their shareholders, but what they contribute to society and to the world. Uh, because let me just, a lot of people, when I say society, think that, we're, that I forget about uh, mother earth, but for me, that's, that's the entire system. Um, and for that, we have seven transformations that align with those SDGs and um, in which we can see which industries contribute most to these transformations. Um, and then we've also identified the 2,000 most influential companies in the world and they are benchmarked against those transformations. So that's roughly it, but that's not it at all because we also have a big alliance of 350 organizations that then take those the outcomes of these benchmarks or parts of those benchmarks um, and work and influence these companies to, uh, want to, to take their responsibility.
0: Yes, so you're providing insight for each company to understand how it sits with its competitors which hopefully cajoles it into improving uh, their positive impact. So can you give some examples of the impact the World Benchmarking Alliance has had on some of these companies?
1: Well, coming from a very commercial organisation before I joined WBA, Microsoft, I think one of the the biggest uh, things we see is that, that companies really appreciate the clarity we provide them because, you know we we always say businesses have to do good, but then what does that mean? Because there's so many topics that the world needs, then you can, you can always compete or discuss the fact what what does this particular company do needs to do. So what we see is that some companies who are not in the two thousand most influential actually reach out and ask us ask us if they can or, without uh, without uh, being benchmark, some companies actually use some of the other transformations to show what their strategy should be like moving forward. So I think that's a massive change already because I think that clarity helps uh, to talk about accountability. But also smaller things, uh, companies uh, where the CEO is held accountable through his bonus uh, in the way he's ranked on the corporate human rights benchmark is, is one. Um, uh, ethical uh, artificial intelligence that is quite important for us as a world moving forward now being part of a, of a uh, collective impact coalition of the digital inclusion benchmarks um, where companies and investors are looking at what, what is needed to move that forward faster um, so these are just a few examples uh, but a lot more of, obviously
0: yeah thank you Honey, Uh, So now I'd like to move us into looking at the wider system, the socioeconomic and environmental challenges that we're facing, immense turbulence, you know, so much change upon change. And I remember in one of our earlier coaching sessions together, you shared about a wise elder once saying to you how we are afraid of change. And when we're afraid of change, chaos ensues, we become fearful and we undermine the evolutionary dynamic of life and it's now this pivotal moment there's so much change that actually that seems to be what often happens we're we're protecting ourselves we're fearful of change and we hold back with status quo thinking can you can you speak to that can you share about what you see happening around us at the moment
1: well at first i think i'm quite compassionate about that because i think we're all driven by fear in a way um just imagine that there's changes in your personal environment that I think the, f- the first thing you want to do is withdraw or, or try to get uh, to, to make sure that it's disappearing. So I, I just have to say that because it's always easier to look at the system and then have an opinion about it. But if I, if I look at the bigger system, you, you, can, you can almost feel if you're a, a sensitive person that it hurts all over the place, right? Politics, democracies, war, um, where you could even debate whether or not the pandemic has been part of that, that it's hurting. And I think it, it does because biodiversity has created this problem that, that illnesses from animals uh, or lack of biodiversity has created the lack of that animals diseases can actually pass over to humans. And our natural instinct, it's also what we have taught, I think, over the last decades, is not to speak about fear or to, to look at fear. Um, I know we, we talked about it. It's it's funny, uh, and this is maybe very personal, but as a woman, when you, when you give birth, you're taught to look at the pain. And I think it's something that we don't teach our children at school. Uh, even when a small child is saying, I'm afraid, we, we tend to just brush it off and say, oh, it's nothing. Uh, but for the transformation the world needs or the transition the world is at you need to be openly speaking about all levels of fear otherwise you get these the polarization which we all sense as well at the same time
0: yes i agree and in a funny kind of way it by not going into the pain we're actually creating more pain well once we face into the fear often the fear dissipates and some people argue the ultimate fear we're holding is of death
1: well i won't say i won't say what the wise man said to me as well uh, that if we won't face the fear that that means it could end humanity at a certain point but that's that's his way of putting
0: it yes and this stems from our own desire for life which is which is healthy it's natural but shunning death actually undermines life i mean as the ancient traditions understood uh, birth and death are actually part of life death is not opposite to life birth and death are part of it and these are thresholds that we can celebrate and not shun so in life we go through these kind of mini death and rebirth thresholds you know we learn to die before we die that's what the ancient traditions are showing us the wisdom traditions and this fuels our evolution as adults and i remember in one of our earlier sessions how you shared with me about a near-death experience you have received and both of us in our lives have had these that we've tasted these near-death experiences and such experiences are, are, are rich you know they can inform us can you share how your particular experience of tasting the light of death has informed you
1: well i, I think in my entire life i was i was attracted to death i i don't know i think that was intuitively um, I got quite sick uh, and then seeing the light of death, I understood that I was not attracted to death itself, but the rest that it gives. Um, and kind of being away from the duality of, of this world and, um, and away from all the, the pain and sorrow and tensions and 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 you name it. Um, but but by and by sitting in it for quite a while, because it took roughly three months. Um, get out of uh, out of this phase i also i I learned two things one is that there is unconditional love so i i am there's a so there are people that are unconditionally love me which which was a big thing it sounds maybe quite cheesy but it it's it's definitely something that i i experienced but the other side and that's i think it's related is that i've learned about the light of life um and I, I think beforehand, I always had a tendency to, uh, to focus a lot on the darkness of life. Um, and for that, I wanted to go out, <laughs> I guess, deep down.
0: Yes, sensing this unconditional love, it's such a vital driver to this shifting consciousness that we're talking about. And I remember you saying recently, when your whole company came together post COVID for the first time, how you shared your purpose your personal purpose in quite an open and vulnerable way to the group i won't share what your personal purpose is i'd like if 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 you can would you like to share it now because i think it speaks to your own journey of vulnerability
1: yeah it's it it was actually a vulnerable moment because um I think in the past, I always had something about gender equality as my purpose, so I needed to fight for women rights and, 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 and making sure that you could have an ambition and a career and being a good mother and proving that. Um, also because my, my own mother needed to stop working uh, uh, when she became a mom, that was actually a law, and that's not that far ago, right? Um, with a result she became financially independent which hasn't had an influence on the relationship between my father and my and my mom and my mother. So for me there was always a, a an ego dri- dri- driven motivation um, but after uh, you know being so sick and, and seeing both sides of the coin, uh, I know that it's I have a quite a simple purpose and that's I have to bring love. Um, And when I say it, I always get a bit um, humble inside because it sounds really easy. Um, And in a way it it is, (laughs) and in a way it's not. Um, And when I I said it to the organization, um, by the way, we are a not-for-profit organization. So that's, I think it's good to to know. Um, I also, I had a couple of thoughts in my head, like, do I really say this (laughs) to to people? because it's so much easier just to not say it than to do. Um, And I think it felt really as a relief to just say it out loud. And it also created some beautiful, well, I would say ripple effects on the back end because people were far more vulnerable uh, throughout um, after saying it. Uh, So people were going in deeper into their personal stories and and sharing. Uh, And the other side is that I had a couple of, of colleagues coming up to me and saying, Oh, I'm so happy you say that because I'm also here uh, to bring love. So I was quite happy with, with doing it uh, and showing, setting that example.
0: Yeah. Vulnerability, this theme of vulnerability has really come out through the whole podcast series as often leaders have noticed that in daring to challenge themselves, to push themselves uh, through a fear of being vulnerable, that in opening up and sharing, it's opened a deeper space for others and it sent a signal um, for others to become more human, to bring more of themselves to work. Now, I'd like to shift our conversation, if I may, to the culture. Uh, at your organization, you're applying TEAL as an operating system, uh, which is essentially about encouraging more adult, adult self-managing cultures, You know, encouraging more wholeness for people to bring more of their whole selves to work. Can you share about the challenges of cultivating Uh, more responsibility and accountability um, which really enables a self-organizing system to thrive what are the challenges that you found in doing this (laughs) difficult Um, i think i I have a
1: massive longing in knowing uh what i'm worth uh, in in brackets obviously um and i have a longing to know what i'm 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 contributing or which impact i make um and I'm, I'm also willing to look at what what is it financially worth right so that's that's ultimately the other side of that coin in, in a working environment so I, I i have a tendency then to project that onto everyone and what i noticed that not everyone is is uh willing or able to uh to to have that openness just yet i think you know we all grew even even though we have an organization with roughly average age of something around 30. Um, I can see that, that they're massively struggling with, with things as responsibility, um, transparency, um, accountability, as it becomes personal. Um, it's, it's, it's always easier to place it outside than to go inside. And that requires just a lot of, lot of work. So, for example, we had, a, we had an idea to, to move to self-setting salary. We're not, we're not the only organization that, that has that. But moving from salaries that have has been set or have been set for people to self-setting, that's a journey of a a year and a half. We're not and we're not there just yet Um, because there's always people that are, well, they find that a scary, scary thought. They don't want to defend why they are earning a certain amount or maybe they feel they don't earn. Enough, and and then they have to have another conversation. But then you get to the point where you need to talk about accountabilities and and, and what are you owning. So it's it's a long way, um, but it's nice to, It's good to have a operating guiding principle, and it's it's written beautifully. Uh, it gives a lot of handrails to people, and and it also creates a language. I think for the, for building an organization, you need a certain language, uh, and for example, wholeness well that starts to become a normal world word i bring my whole self is is becoming more and more of a, of a of a word people try and tend to use so that's it's a good sign
0: well yes this is powerful because not only are you helping change things out there but we're also shifting the culture in here and this inner outer relationship is is important how the inner nature of the organization Uh, informs and infuses with the outer offerings and how they align but also for the individual for the individual leader and person in the organization we can easily get caught up in what we're doing out there and forget an awareness of how we're being in here so you know certainly during this journey of separation we've been on over the last few hundred years we've been starting to prioritize the outer and impoverishing the inner and that creates problems so this capacity to bring awareness into our own selves. Uh, this shift that we need to bring our beam of attention into ourselves, encouraging people in the workplace to become aware of their inner being. Can you can you speak to the importance of that?
1: Well, we, we started off by not having managers or layers, but by having people leads. So, so people who are truly interested to help others to thrive, they became our people leads. And they tend to have these kind of conversations with people. So that speaks to the second layer of it. You you need to install something that is good. Good conversations. What is a good conversation? I think we're 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 just starting to get there. But these people is are crucial in uh, uh, in setting the culture and having the right conversations with people. What I know now, uh, looking back at last week, is that people also need to have a bit more of, of boundaries in which they are are able to move. So for me, the world is a playground, but for some people, they like a bit of a smaller playground to play in to know what they can do. And now we see that that we need to create clarity around. So what's the playground you can find your accountabilities in? What can, what, what can you own? What shouldn't you be owning? Um, and that's definitely a conversation to be had to be held uh, with the people needs moving forward.
0: Yeah, developing this quality, this ability to truly share, to speak and listen from the heart, it's it's a real art. And of course, it's an act of love, overcoming our fears about being vulnerable, about being true, opening up while honouring our boundaries, while bringing in a more loving atmosphere through these conversations. You know, it's powerful, isn't it?
1: Well, it, it is, and it's also difficult. I think the biggest fear of people is uh, what to choose, because the, the huge amount of impulses they get in their personal life, as well as in, in, in work life, is, that, um, is, is how do you make choices, right? Because you, if you want to pay attention, there's a lot less time. Um, and, and I think from moving away from time to what can I pay attention to, we all know it, if you have, have children, small children and they, they know exactly when you're on the phone and then they ask you for candy um, because they know that you're not there, you're on the phone. Um, and then you just, if you say no, they also know that there is a, a, a big possibility if they ask another two, three times that they get a yes. And something, it, it's not any different in a meeting. So if you go to a meeting, but your attention is elsewhere, then why bother sitting in that meeting? You probably come to conclusions that you don't agree with in long run um, or they don't lead to anything or they frustrate you. But being that aware uh, to know where where you can add your value and where you shouldn't um, in a world that also talks about FOMO quite frequently, at least my children do, I think that's, a biggest, that's the biggest challenge in this.
0: Yes, and in one of our coaching sessions, we touched on the importance of sensing this interconnectedness of life, the importance of of bringing that awareness in. Sometimes the sustainability agenda can be overly caught up in the measuring and the benchmarking stuff, which is vital. It's important. Um, but focusing just on what's out there, uh, impoverishing the inner. So it's important to remind ourselves of that we're interconnected, spiritual beings immersed in this life experience um and we're also interwoven and interconnected you know physically psychologically and energetically and so it feels important that this aspect of life is brought into the sustainability discussions
1: well i i think that's because we all grew up with with in a linear world you know, you, you look at look at most educations, it's, it's quite linear. If you, if, you, if you learn this, then you can do that. So if you become a lawyer, you just, you know, you learn law by heart and you're a lawyer. Uh, I don't agree with that, but in, in a way, that's how we have set up our educational system, but it's also how we've built our world. So I, I think for people to think sustainability as a linear process is is just related to that whilst everything in nature is not linear, it's getting smaller and then getting bigger again, or the feminine forces, forces inward looking and the, the more masculine forces outward looking, that that's a constant process, but still we see an issue in the world, it's, we label it with sustainability, and then we are all framed to have a roadmap with milestones, projects, and, and et cetera, et cetera. So I, I think letting go of these frames is crucial crucial for me that is also spiritual and 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 a helping people to make that I, i'm from the very earthy uh, a spiritual a group i would say is that what that's what people need to learn because when you speak about spirituality or interconnectedness people get lost or, or they think church
0: yeah i think we're essentially talking about a way of living you know a way of perceiving reality do you think there's an opportunity going forward for the world of sustainability to integrate more with the world of psychology and culture development?
1: I, 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 it, it's, it's crucial. I'm not sure if it's happening. I can see it happening more and more. But at the same time, I'm I'm not sure how fast that is going. There is something. I think there is. A, so there's the sustainable development goal. And I think there's also something which is called the inner development goals which is a bit related to it so I, I you see little seeds popping up I think where you can see the the, the, the connection or the interconnectedness between personal development um, and 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 learning as a, as a whole um, that's why I'm also quite excited about my my role because NGOs are forced uh, to measure their impact there's actually it's called measurement measurement evaluation and learning and i'm quite excited to to link that to our own development as an organization because i think the more we develop as an organization we can work with and learn with and from the wider system including our alliance which which is quite an important element of our work because Without them, we you know we couldn't do it, and then it actually it it, it creates waves more f- further in the organ in, further on in, in in the world, but how far it is I don't know, and I'm not seeing everything I I guess
0: yes all of these things they're contributing to a tipping point you know small shifts are affecting. Uh, this pivotal time you know it's an exciting time in many ways to be alive you're a very wise lady and it's been really a real honor to be um, coaching you over the last few months and thank you for sharing here to finish are there any tips you'd like to share as a leader on the journey
1: well i, I would say tip number one is investing your, in your in your inner development the better you know your own ego personality, what drives you, what motivates you, what hurts you, uh, the better you become in leading others uh, and knowing where where your boundaries are. Uh, And the other thing, which is quite a practical, uh, practice good conversations. Dare to ask questions, open questions around what is really happening, what sits under the surface, Um, and especially in business uh i i think that is it, it's not called professional but i think it's so needed and people are so long my my experience is people are longing for those conversations and to bring to bring that in
0: yes i love it conscious conversations where we truly listen and speak from the heart simple and powerful it's going to help change the world honey thank you so much
1: thank you giles welcome loved it <laughs>
0: For more on Leading by Nature, you can follow me, Giles Hutchins, on LinkedIn and visit gileshutchins.com for free downloads of tools and practices for regenerative leadership and future fit business. Also, watch out for my latest book, Leading by Nature, The Process of Becoming a Regenerative Leader.